All right, it is so good to be with you this morning uh, in this series that I get to jump in and, and be the second number two sermon in the sermon series. Uh, we've been calling this sermon series the Via Dolorosa, which if that's new for you, we learned last week that that, mean, that is Latin for the way of suffering. And uh, in this sermon series, our goal is to journey with Jesus on his way of suffering as a way of remembering and meditating on his great gift of love towards us. This way of suffering, this Via Dolorosa, is a title given to an actual road in Jerusalem that represents the journey that Jesus took from his trial to his crucifixion. It's a popular place of pilgrimage for believers, for Christians all over the world every year during Lent. And although we can't go there this year, uh, you might be able to go. Uh, I'm not able to go. Uh, But we are during this sermon series. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to journey with Jesus on his way of suffering together. Throughout history, the church has remembered this way of suffering by looking at different moments along the way. And these moments are known as stations of the cross. You might have heard of that. And depending on which, uh, which denomination you've been a part of or which century that you were alive in, you would have highlighted or looked at different moments throughout uh, the, the way of suffering, throughout uh, Jesus' way to the cross. Uh, but the same idea holds true for all of them, is that we are looking at him on his way of suffering as, remembering, as a way of remembering and meditating on his great gift of love to us. This is our goal in this sermon series, to take time to look at him and remember his love for us. Last week, we looked at uh, the very first uh, station of the cross, which is Jesus on trial. And today we're picking right up where we left off with a sermon uh, titled, Jesus Takes Up His Cross. We're going to be looking at this moment that Jesus takes up his cross together. Will you stand with me for the reading of the word? We're going to be looking at John 19, John chapter 19, verses 16 and 17. Just got two quick verses for you here. We'll be in some other verses later. I encourage you to read along in your Bible, although the words are on the screen. A couple weeks ago, David Campbell was here. He didn't have so much faith that the words would be up there, but he obviously hadn't met Diego, so I'm thankful for you, bro. <laughs> All right, John 19, 16 and 17 says this. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. You may be seated. Short, but powerful. And he went out bearing his own cross. We will this morning spend our time looking at Jesus together as he takes up his cross. And for a while this morning, what I want us to do is to behold him and to look at this moment and to learn from him. My message today is going to be a pretty simple one. These passages that we'll read today speak for themselves. I'm not going to add anything to them. I'm going to speak to you today as someone who has just been looking at this moment, at Jesus on his cross and taking up his cross. But if you take anything away today, I want you to take this. I'm going to give you my main point early. (laughs) It says, Jesus took up his cross and we are called to do the same. So as we behold him today, I want you to look at him with that lens. We're going to look at this moment Jesus takes up his cross. We're going to read through several verses, 
like I said, um, with the whole point being, let's look at him. This greatest expression of love the world has ever known. Jesus taking up his cross, carrying it, bearing his own cross, and then taking what we owed. This is what we're called to do. We are called to do the same. So let's remember Jesus as he takes up his cross today. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Again, I, just, I read this just to say that we're being transformed into his image. And it says that at beholding the glory of the Lord, as we behold him this morning, I'm inviting you to be transformed as you behold him. God wants to transform us today, and it's already begun. It's already been happening as we are worshiping, as we're looking at him, as we're hearing testimony of how he's moving in our lives. We're beholding him. And I think what he wants to tell us today is that we too are to take up our cross and follow him. So let's remember him. I'm going to read from three places in Scripture this morning as we remember Jesus taking up his cross. And I encourage you, as I read them, to think of him. I can't tell you to close your eyes and imagine him for the whole time I'm talking, but that's kind of the gist of what I'm going for here as we read some of these things. It's like, focus on him as, as best you can during this time. Behold him on his way of suffering, taking up his cross. The first place we're going to look is going to be in Philippians 2. Philippians 2, we're going to start in 6 through 8. It says, although he, this is talking about Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Can you see him? Let's look another spot. 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, 22 through 25. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself brought our sins in his body up on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. This is our king. One more. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Can you see him? Jesus took up his cross. Jesus laid down his life and took up his cross. What does this moment teach us about Jesus? 
What do these verses teach us about this moment that Jesus took up his cross? If you're going to take notes anywhere, this is one place you might want to take notes. You don't have to. But I just, as we're zooming in and looking at this moment, I want to learn from him together. So what does this moment teach us about Jesus? It teaches us that Jesus emptied himself. Now, this isn't talking about him giving up his divinity like he wasn't God in that moment. But even with his divinity, he gave his life for you. Our God, God, the creator of the universe, poured out his life for us. He took up his cross. He took on our likeness and our sin. What does this moment teach us about Jesus? It teaches that Jesus humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself by obeying God, even to the point of death. He didn't live for himself. Jesus did the will of the Father, even on the cross, to the point of death. In Matthew 26, last week, we we learned this, we, we saw this. There's two times that Jesus prays that this would pass. But he says, my Father, if this cannot pass, your will be done. He humbled himself. Jesus only did what the Father was doing, even to the point of death. Our King came to serve, not to be served. So what does this moment teach us about Jesus? It teaches that Jesus did not revile or utter threats in return. I looked up revile. I needed to know. You probably already know. But it says to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. He received this and did not return this. And... We're called to do the same. He did not return hate for hate. This moment also teaches us that Jesus took what we deserved. He has borne our griefs. He has borne our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. His wounds have healed us. What he did made a way for us. So what does this moment teach us about Jesus? I think... And if I were going to sum this up, everything we just said, all those points on the screen, I would sum it up with this moment teaches us that our God is self-sacrificial. 1 John 4, 9 says it like this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The moment Jesus takes up his cross walks the way of suffering, and dies what what we deserve, the death that we deserved and then raised again. This is the greatest display of love the world has ever seen. This is the greatest display of love the world has ever known. And it looked like a God who was self-sacrificial. Can you see him? Jesus lived self-sacrificially. This is the perfect image of God, Jesus taking up his cross and giving his life for us. He took up his cross, and we're called to do the same. Luke 9.23 says it like this. And this is where I get to my main point today, that Jesus took up his cross, and we are called to do the same. He literally tells us to do so. Jesus says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If anyone would come after me, 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And we've just looked at him. We've just been beholding him together in this moment. And we're learning here that he says to do the same thing that he did. We're learning from him. We're being transformed into his image. We too are to live self-sacrificially. We too are to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. He took up his cross and we're called to do the same. But what does this look like for us? How do we do that? I want to kind of switch gears from looking at him and beholding him to saying, okay, but now very practically, what does this look like for us? How do we take up our cross? He had a physical cross to take up. We don't. But what does that look like? We just saw the perfect image of God, and we're being transformed into his image. So let's talk about how we can do this. This is probably the second place you'll want to take notes. Maybe the last. (laughs) I'm going to give you two very practical things as I look at trying to respond to, okay, we're to take up our cross, to deny ourselves daily and follow him. Number one, the thing you must do if you're going to do this. These are two things you must do. You must be filled with God's Holy Spirit. If you have not been filled with His Spirit, that's where you should start. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. And I know that you've heard this so much in the last several weeks, but as I prepared for today, I couldn't help but say it again. We must pray that God would pour out His Spirit on us. We must bring Him the empty jars of our lives. Like, this is what God is trying to teach us. This is what He's been speaking to us this year. Empty yourself, not just so you're empty, but so that you can be full of Him. We have to be filled with Him. If we are going to live the way He's called us to live, if we're going to be the manifestation of His love now, because we're made in His image, we have to be filled with His Spirit. The second point I have for you is this. Very simple. To live self-sacrificially, to deny ourselves and take up our cross, to be made in His image, we must have the attitude that Christ had. We must have the attitude of Christ towards others. What I mean is this. It's very practical. The area of our life that we apply this, denying ourselves and taking up our cross, is the area of our attitudes towards one another and towards others. Jesus took up his cross and we're called to do the same. Did you know that the Bible actually talks about your attitude? It does. I'm thankful that it does. Although it might be hard to believe, I get an attitude sometimes. <laughs> You're shaking your head a little too much down there, babe. God addresses attitudes all throughout the Bible, and I'm so thankful for it. Just to point out a couple, I mean, the, the people of God were led out of captivity They're in the wilderness, and they're complaining about it. Like, hey, we'd rather go back and be enslaved again. You're like, okay, really? God's people became discontent with literal bread from heaven and started complaining about it. You know what I mean? It's like, okay. And you know that you have some attitudes, too. And I'm not just talking about, like, the, the, the poor attitudes or the bad attitudes, but the good attitudes that we have towards one another. They affect people. They affect us. They affect our lives. The way we live towards others, our relationships, this is where we apply 
the taking up our cross, denying ourselves, and following Jesus on a daily basis. Jesus took up his cross, and we too are called to do the same. So, you, you're probably a little different than me, but who here has ever gotten in a little bit of an argument with somebody? Just a little one. <laughs> with your spouse, maybe? <laughs> with your roommate? With your parents? Ever argued about money? Right? Ever been angry in traffic? I'm looking at some of you I know. I see some of you zipping by me on Sunday mornings. <laughs> Ever been offended by something someone said or did? Like a family member or something they did or said? Maybe they're coming to mind now. (laughs) Your in-laws, you know, sometimes. My mother-in-law's in in the room today. She's an amazing woman of God. (laughs) What about at church? You know, ever been offended by something somebody did or said at church? Ever talked about somebody behind their back? Or ever judge someone prematurely? Ever had the feeling that you deserve to be the one that, fill in the blank, over someone else? And like I said, not just talking about the bad attitudes here, but the good ones affect us as well. And and I see this so much with my kids. It's like if I have a poor attitude, my kids are going to react the same way. You know, uh, and when I celebrate them, when I encourage them, when I have a great attitude towards them, they respond, and everyone's affected in the house. It's a happy, happy mama. Everybody's happy. I don't know. Happy wife, happy life. <laughs> it's real. Our attitudes affect things. This is the place we apply this, this taking up our cross, denying ourselves, and following him. We all know it. Our attitudes affect things. And I'm so thankful that God's word talks about it. It's so applicable to our lives. For us today, what I want us to do is to zoom in again on those Philippians verses that we read earlier. We read about Jesus in these verses, but what Paul is actually writing about here is our attitude, is your attitude. Philippians 2, 3 through 8 says this, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Does this sound familiar? (laughs) This is what we were just beholding. And he's saying, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Have this attitude in yourselves. Do not look out for your own personal interests, but for others. This is what your king did for you. And he continues in verses 12 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted Generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Jesus took up his cross, and we are called to do the same. Verse 15 there, it says, Among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's the point I'm getting to this morning, that this manifestation of love 
this greatest expression of love the world has ever known, as Jesus took up his cross and walked the way of suffering, that manifestation of love now lives in us. Tozer said it this way, talking about denying ourselves and taking up our cross. He says, the meaning of self-denial is not an infliction of personal torment nor penance, but it is simply giving up the very principle of living for ourselves. Sounds easy, right? It is completely changing the direction of our being and will so that no longer in any sense do we act with a reference to how anything will affect us, but our one thought is how it will affect God and others. This is how Jesus lived when he took up his cross. And we're called to do the same. We are called to be Christians, not to live for ourselves. We're literally called Christians, Christ followers. We're called to be like him in every way, not only for our sake, but for the sake of the world. John 13, 34 and 35 says this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The way that we apply taking up our cross and denying ourselves and following Jesus is by the way that we love one another and we love others. We love and live in such a way that people can see him. We take up our cross. And... We now have the power to do that. As I said earlier, that's the th- first thing, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And my practical is to live with the attitude that Christ had. I don't know how else to say it <laughs> other than to say it in those ways. I do, however, have some stories that I'd like to share for you uh, this morning that I think help drive the point home, uh, because that's literally it. That's what I have for you this morning, is that we are called to live with the attitude that Christ had. And I think as you're hearing that, you're, you're hearing uh, and your wheels are turning and you're, you're, you're understanding it because he's here and you're beholding him and you're being transformed. But I want you to hear from some friends of mine uh, as I share these stories. I want you to hear from them uh, some examples to look at and to look to. I believe that God has allowed me to be a part of their lives, not only for my sake, but for our sake. And so I'm including the stories today in my sermon, um, because I think it drives the point home, but also I'd love for you to know about these people. So my friends at Sycamore Reserve Senior Living Facility, uh, we do a life group there uh, once a week, just like you guys have a life group every week that you gather in. And at this life group, we do what you do in life group. We do what Acts 2.42 says. We gather to follow Jesus by devoting ourselves to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, to the prayers, to his word, to reading his word. And uh, we do that every week. And I have some dear friends there that I think are living examples of applying this word, taking up their cross daily, denying themselves and following Jesus. So as we got started with this life group, the way that we got started was a a friend who became a friend of mine. His name was Dan. He just came into our doors one uh, like Tuesday afternoon. He came in and he had been to several churches up to this point. And he came to us and said, hey, we're looking for somebody to lead a weekly group. We don't need you to come up with sermons. We just want somebody to have a, to, like, that has the energy to come and say, we want to gather in the name of Jesus and to facilitate that. And I'm like, we will do that. 
We said yes to that. And Dan uh, had been a minister for like 35 years, and he had been trying to do this weekly in, uh, at Sycamore at the senior living facility, and he was just out of energy. But he wasn't going to give up. He was going to churches and asking, will you come and do this? He was laying his life down. He was giving of his time and energy. He was taking up his cross. He was trying to finish his race well, and he was trying to help his friends finish their race well. He knew that they needed to be gathering in the name of Jesus with other people. So he gave his life so that others could gather in the name of Jesus. Shortly after we started the groups there, just a few weeks after, uh, uh, he got uh, pretty ill and was put on hospice and has now gone to be with the Lord. But uh, we still get to gather there every week because of his uh, taking up his cross and saying, I'm going to go find somebody with energy who's willing to do this because there's people here that are just trying to hold on to the end. There's this one lady who's been coming every week. Her name is Betty. She is my most faithful member of this life group. She's amazing. I want you all to meet her. Uh, She has been uh, living her life in this way. The first week we were there, she shared uh, a prayer request. I said, okay, we're going to pray for one another now. The very first week she said, "I, I need prayer for strength and energy. Every day I have to make the conscious choice to wake up, to get out of bed, get dressed, and go do my life in the common areas of this place. I am tempted to live life in my own room. They have their own kitchen. She could very easily, and a lot of people do, live life in their own room and never come out. And she said, but I know if I do that, and I don't come eat my breakfast and lunch and dinner in the common areas, these people won't have the opportunity they need to see Jesus because he's in me. I'm like, I will pray for that. Uh, Can you pray for me? (laughs) Betty is taking up her cross daily and following Jesus. She's denying what she wants, and she's giving her life so that people can see him. A couple weeks later, she said, hey, I've got some, some housemates here. They don't know English. I'd love to share the gospel with them. Do you have any curriculum? I happen to have some curriculum. I gave her some, and the next week I came, she had handed out all six of them and was working through them with some of the members there. She's not just passively stepping into eternity. She is daily denying herself, taking up her cross, and following him. She is applying this to the relationships, to the attitude she has towards those around her. She is applying this. She is taking up her cross as Jesus did. Two weeks ago now we had, this is the last story, but two weeks ago we had a new member come in. And uh, she was real quiet for the first handful of minutes. She was new to, the, to Sycamore. She just had lived there for a few days at this point. And I, I could tell she was a little nervous, so I just did what we always do. I'm like, okay, well, there's a few minutes, literally two or three minutes of getting to know each other, saying hi. She wasn't saying anything. I was like, okay, we're going to do what we came here to do. So we're going to spend time with Jesus. As I say that, she starts crying. And I say, we're going to start by taking communion and pass out the elements. She starts, she's crying a little harder. And I have everybody hold the elements and say, we have nothing but Jesus. So let's be with him in this moment. Let's, let's remember him. I encourage you all to go around and just say something you're thankful for as you're holding his body and his blood. And as we did that, everyone goes around, and she's literally the last one to go. And by this point, she's crying pretty good. And she says, 
She says, I'm remembering now, she's praying to the Lord, I'm remembering now that I had prayed for a body, that I, would, I had prayed for people to be here. I was so nervous that there wouldn't be anybody here to gather in the name of Jesus with, and I'm so thankful for this. And then she prayed that she was thankful for the memories of taking communion with her late husband every day. Her husband was a minister, and uh, he had recently passed, and she was reminded in that moment of taking communion with him. And, you know, I just, I was blown away in that moment. Bo was with me that day, my friend Bo Wilfong, and we talked about it later, but I was just remembering, like, it matters that we're here gathering in the name of Jesus. It matters that we take up our cross and we deny ourselves. I don't always want to go every week to be a part of this life group. You know, it's, it's um, but God is showing up in our obedience. He showed up in Jesus' obedience by making a way for us. Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The last thing I'll say about Sycamore briefly is that there's a clarity that comes, I'm learning, as people end uh, near the end of their life. This clarity that these people have, this life group is probably the most focused life group I've ever been a part of. They know that gathering is important. They're not promised next week. And they know that praying is important because they're not promised next week. They pray, every time we pray, what they want to pray for is the salvation of others. Because as they near the end of their life, they know this is what's most important. They're taking up their cross, just as Jesus did. And they're living for what's most important. And as we close today, I just want to encourage you, life is too short to live for yourself. <laughs> to live at the center of your own world. We're, we too are not promised tomorrow. We have to live for him and others. For how will the world know what he's like if we don't have this attitude in ourselves that Christ had? He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. If anyone would come after me. Let's go after him today, church.